Good morning. Well, it's just it's still morning. Thank you for inviting me to speak. Um, so I'm Daksha, and my I'm visual artist. My practice is drawing based, um, and has for some time responded to the images to images of the med medical body generated by visualization technologies, from full body scans to highly magnified images such as scanning electron micrographs. I'm interested in whether drawing as a practice has a potential to connect art and science. And whilst the end results and intention of the drawing may be very different across the two fields of knowledge, the process itself can follow very similar patterns, such as observation, experimental testing, and structured speculation, as Martin Kemp has observed. So I'll begin by showing you some earlier work, um, which has led up to the questions that I'm exploring currently, um, which is midway through my practice-led PhD. So recurring themes, I was thinking about recurring themes and elements in my drawings include an interest in this idea of measurement in the human body, practices of classifying, codifying, mapping, and fitting the body into systems, Fugitive materials, I use materials that change over time to acknowledge that biological systems are in constant flux. And making connections between different things, making unexpected connections, and related to that is the creation of visual analogy, using images to connect. Um, and finally, heuristics, um, finding out through using the post drawing process itself as a, as a way of finding out through doing, through testing, discovering, and learning through an engagement with materials. I think of the drawing, or the process of drawing, the drawing itself as propositional. The artist and academic Diana Petherbridge describes drawing as having an irresolute status, an imminence as always pointing to somewhere else. Thinking about drawing not only as a visual practice, but as a practice that makes visible. So this drawing is a map of Manchester. It depicts the main transport routes, roads, rails, canal systems across the city. It was made after a residency in a radiology unit. And I was particularly struck by the visual qualities of angiograms, x-rays of blood vessels. Although I was viewing them upon a screen, they seem to have this sort of haptic, immediate quality of a charcoal line or a soft pencil line. Around the same time, I was commissioned to produce a drawing for the Abandoned Normal Devices Festival, which is a festival of digital culture and, and art, um, where artwork was shown right across the city in unusual spaces. And in, in this case, um, my work would be shown in the Visitor Information Centre, which is right next to the mainline train stations and bus stations. So the work would be shown where it would be surrounded by maps, maps used for navigating around the city. And I was thinking back on the very map-like quality of angiograms and started making connections between the internal body and the external environment. And to propose... What if we think about bodies as living systems rather than fixed inanimate structures? And also raise questions about how people would look at a map like this because it's a map based upon movement, the circulation of people and goods across the city rather than one of static fixed borders. It suggests, uh, it suggests flows and rhythm. It suggests a structure that can pulse and move. 
this is another map. Focus. This is another map. It is um, central Manchester. It represents all the roads within the inner <coughs> ring road. Here using colour to suggest living tissue as well. This was produced as part of the diffusion project which is exploring air quality in, in, in cities. Um, and I was really interested in this idea that breath is one of the most direct ways that we interact with the environment, the city enters the body. Thinking about bodies as permeable and porous, the city enters the body through our skin, our lungs, through our ears. And here the grey clusters uh, represent geographical areas which, according to the environmental data that I was looking at, consistently have very high levels of nitrous oxides in the air. Referencing the history of mapping, thinking about the history of mapping and the visual language of cartography, which is both a utilitarian one and an artistic one. Maps can be beautiful objects, delicate drawings, as well as providing information. And maps have always been very selective about what they represent. They reveal what they want to show, they determine what is seen. There's a relationship between maps, decision-making and power. Donna Haraway, the feminist historian of science, asserts that maps are embodiments of multifaceted historical practices that can appear to be non-tropic, metaphor-free representations of previously existing real properties of a world that are waiting patiently to be plotted. Another point from the diffusion project, this was inspired by a transmission electron micrograph of a mast cell full of histamine granules, um, which are implicated in respiratory conditions such as asthma. So it was drawn using, it's very difficult to see on this, but it was drawn using the visual symbols used in cartography, so that sort of white section um, is based upon the types of long, uh, lines used in escarpments. The granules of histamine are based upon the symbols used for rocks. So I was constructing the drawing out of map symbols, abstract signs that are used to represent physical landscapes and pointing to the abstracted nature of this image, the mast cell image itself. The coloured dots are taken from a map of air pollution emission sites across Greater Manchester. Each colour represents a different type of emission. I wanted to use a dot map because of the history of, of, of um, medical mapping, thinking of about Dr. John Snow and his making connections between water pumps and the spread of cholera through his, through his dot maps. So I'm beginning here and I was beginning my practice to sort of inventing a visual language where I'm connecting different things together and the territory I'm exploring is the visual representation of data. I came across this image of a neuron on the internet Images such as these are not confined to medical institutions, they're everywhere, they're part of culture. But I also wanted to acknowledge the provenance of the, uh, of the material I was working with, uh, and this, that, that, that it's made up of digital information. So the drawing itself is constructed from zeros and ones, um, binary code. There's a complex relationship between the visual and technologies of vision. Images such as this one, are produced by means that are not normally thought of as within the realm of the visual, um, often using electrons, beams of electrons, or sound waves, or, or, or magnetic force. Today, the naked eye, the artist's observational anatomical drawing perhaps cannot compete with these technologies. 
raises questions about the role of drawing in connection to scientific knowledge. Is it superfluous? However, the art historian Robert Swinenberg argues that as a result of the increasing development of art and medical science as two separate domains since the late 19th century, the emotional complexity has vanished from medical images. This loss not only has a negative effect on the cultural embedding of new medical knowledge of the human body's interior, but it also has brought about a growing gap between medical science and society. Both these drawings, which are based upon MRI scans, reference graph paper with its associations of mathematics, statistics, formulae, etc. The one on the right is drawn directly upon the printed lines of the graph, whilst the drawing on the left is constructed out of um, vertical and horizontal lines, trying to describe an organic form, the curves, whilst limiting myself to this, to, to, to this structure, going against the grain. So exploring this idea of fitting a human body into a system of measurement, and the body as mathematized and a graphic coordinate space. Martin Kemp argues that the way we think about space today has been profoundly structured by linear perspective, and that this spatial paradigm underpins um, scientific visualizations today. He, he says the basic parameters for the construction of space in a computer, utilizing the X, Y, and Z axes to define the three-dimensional coordinates, are precisely those established by the Renaissance perspectivists, up and down, in and out and from side to side. So these two drawings um, were followed on from the, the last work um, based upon a head scan and a highly magnified image of lung tissue. So I, would, I was thinking about measurement systems that are intrinsic rather than extrinsic to the body and began drawing lines freehand, aiming to keep the spaces between them as even and as regular as possible. So they were my units of measurement. Inevitably, unevenness and irregularity uh, crept in. The body has its own pulse and rhythm. The breath, the heartbeat, the flow of the blood through the body creates like tremors in the hand, which are translated upon the paper. So in this, I deliberately merged the image into the, into, the, into the measurement system, so created these images out of one axis, um, which renders them, which gives them a very abstract and cold-like quality to the, to the drawing itself. Um, and Nicholas Rose, the historian of science, argues that today messages, information, programs, codes, instructions, these are the new concepts of the life sciences. The starting point for these drawings, um, very, very bright, I don't know if you can see the one on the right, um, is an image produced by the Blue Brain Project. It's fascinated me for some time. It is a computer-generated um, model which uses data from biomedical scans to reconstruct a facsimile of neural structures. The, con the contrast between the trailing dendrite forms, the entangled neurons, and the visual formality of the straight edges on the left-hand drawing highlights it's that it is a sort of constructed image. Um, and visualization techniques increasingly operate through digital simulation. The first drawing was drawn from observation uh, of the projected image, so it was a very slow process 
computer time versus human time, of transferring this complex imagery onto paper. And then I set up an experiment, so subsequent drawings were spaced approximately six weeks apart and made from memory. It's a very different quality to, to those memory drawings as I look inwards rather than outwards. They seem to have a stronger sense of myself being present in the act of drawing. A significant amount of visual information is lost. However, the memory drawings seem to feel more assured and present. The edges are no longer contained and enclosed, but dynamic. And there seemed to be a relationship between looking inwards into the imagination and, and the presence of the drawing. This drawing was shown as part of the Wellcome Trust Brains um, exhibition. And it's made out of animal fat and a resist, which, which slows down the spread of the fat. So the fat renders the image semi-transparent. It changes according to the light conditions and the position of the viewer. The image itself is unstable. So over time, the fat will seep and spread across the paper, crossing that resist, um, which acts as a temporary barrier. And in the detail image on the right, you can just see it, it's extended beyond the drawing and it's creating a kind of halo around, around that um, head. The idea of a fully transparent and knowable body has a long history in medical science. According to Jose van Dijk, transparency has come to connote perfectibility, modifiability and control over human physiology. However, the instability of this drawing suggests lack of control and the transparency actually makes it more difficult to see. And also, for me, that fat drawing begins to break down the distinction between the representation and the thing. It's literally embodied by being made through, by using fat to draw with. This drawing was made with slip, which is a mixture of clay and water. It depicts a landscape undergoing desertification. And the numbers in are heights above sea, sea level, so compressed layers of topographical information. I initially started ex experimenting with one type of clay and then um, collected a variety of different clays, ranging from fine porcelain to a gritty grey clay, so I could create my own palette. I particularly liked, when I was making this work, the contrast between the abstraction of the numbers and the kind of physical materiality. Painting with slip, it's a very difficult, gritty, it's not like using, uh, using paint, it's a very difficult medium to work with. The drawing retains the unstable quality of the fat drawings. Over time, the clay and water mixture will revert back to a powdered clay and the image will slowly disappear as a fine clay powder will fall off the surface of the paper. The environment in which the drawing is placed will determine the speed of this process. So reflecting upon my drawings and a common theme it's beginning to emerge that they're unstable, they're contingent, they raise questions, they're hybrid images. And the next project, which is um, the Noise and Signal project, attempts to develop a method that engages more directly with these ideas and with more directly also working with data um, from the human body. Martin Kemp describes responses to the images of the moon seen through the early telescope. Images for which no ready framework of interpretive seeing existed. 
When confronted with this unknown image, the telescope became vulnerable to the charge that what was seen through it was in whole or in part produced by the instrument itself. That is to say, it was making its own visual artefacts rather than showing in an accurate manner what was out there. So the image was lost upon those who had no framework to see it. The cultural historian Rebecca Solnitz asks, how will you go about finding the thing, the nature of which is totally unknown to you? So Noise, Noise and Signal is a joint performance project. I developed it in an attempt to enact what Patricia Lather describes as the performance of practices of not knowing. And so the project basically consists of live signals from biosensors, and they're all worn by myself and a participant, projected upon a large sheet of paper. So I'm wearing an EEG headset here, and the participant is wearing uh, a skilled skin galvanometer. In this structure, both myself, the recorder of the data, and the participant, the person who's being observed, are equally implicated. Oh, sorry. Okay. Speed up. Okay. I work with a coder to visualize the data so that it follows pathways dictated by my scanned drawings. The signal follows a predetermined path until it encounters noise or interference in the system. Changes in the participant and my biodata signals trigger changes in speed, direction, and in the projected signal moving off its predetermined pathway and into unknown directions. There's a constant change of direction and speed make recording the signal quite difficult. There is a lot of noise in the system and the data is messy. Noise or artifact is understandably problematic when conducting empirical studies. It makes it difficult to draw con conclusions. And my definition of noise, I think of it as contextual information, is unintentional unverifiable or unknown signals generated by technologies during the process of data transmission, as well as unknown signals generated by the human body. However, it is also difficult to eliminate noise entirely when measuring living systems, and most scientific studies involve a considerable amount of time and energy eliminating unknown signals. I'm interested in whether um, a different approach to noise, seeing it as an opportunity rather than as something to eliminate, can open up new ways of working. Last slide. And I'm going to end with some questions. So I wanted to question whether the key insights in science, the big shifts in understanding, take place in the context of a noisy environment. Do they take place because of the noise? Can a noisy environment where the unknown sits alongside the known become a catalyst for rethinking existing structures? And can the artist's drawing create an alternative space, a counter-image, what Haraway describes as to what Haraway describes as technological mediations which can be presented as utterly transparent. Science is an image-making process as well as a knowledge-producing process. According to Jose van Dijk, the dissemination of medical knowledge is dependent on the development of images. It isn't uniquely contingent upon advancement in science and technology. Images are important resources.
Is there something about the nature and quality of a drawing, as opposed to the digital image, that places it in a unique position to create this alternative space for other new ways of thinking, where the known can sit alongside and acknowledge the unknown? Thank you. <laughs>